Hi, and welcome to the Crypto Writer Talks podcast. These talks are organized and hosted weekly by the people at the Crypto Writers Discord. It's a space for crypto writers to talk shop and share their work. In this episode, we have an interview with Callan Uomoto. That's me. Justin and I discuss my major NFT projects so far, If You Understand, 12, and Ether Poems. We also talk about crypto writing, microfiction and NFTs, the use of concepts and limitations in my writing, as well as a Discord and the growing crypto writing community. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Crypto Writer Talks. Uh, my name is Justin, or Devoid on Twitter, and I'm going to be hosting for the day. These talks, by the way, are organized by the Crypto Writers Discord. Um, I think a few of you that I see in here are already in the Discord, but if you're not, we'll make sure to get you the link later. And the Discord is a place to make sure that writers in this space have somewhere to come together and share their knowledge. We run a whole bunch of different events. This one is a deep dive session, which is a chance to talk to a creative about their work and their experiences in the space so far. And this time I get the extreme honor of chatting to royalty, which is <laughs> the queen of the crypto writers discord. And also, by the way, queen of unfortunate Twitter typos, if you scroll back through our feed, <laughs> it's everyone's favorite, Callan, Callan Iwamoto, who is a crypto writer. And some of her work this year includes her absolutely beautiful microfiction series, Few Understand, which is without doubt still one of my absolute favorite NFT projects of the entire year. Um, Callan also orchestrated the 12 Project, which we'll talk about. She is an ether poet and the founder of the Crypto Writers Discord, which as I said, is organizing all of these talks. Um, so welcome, Callan. How are you? And did I miss anything? No. Um, yeah, thank you for that lovely intro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm happy to be here and chatting with you because, um, you know, you're one of my favorite crypto writers as well. So it's, uh, it's nice to be here with you. Right. This is so much fun. I think it's just nice to be able to have a space, and this is what's so good about the Discord that you kind of organized, is writers can be isolated folk, right? You know, we, we can go off into our own spaces, write about other worlds, but not necessarily always come together to share that information. So this is a really good thing. But I, I was thinking earlier, um, when it comes to, like this term, crypto writer, how exactly, you know, what do you think, what do you think of, when you think of the term crypto writer, and I suppose a kind of addition to that, because that's a complicated one, how exactly do you describe what you do to people who aren't in this space? Because I know I find that to be a lot of blank faces. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, hard question, because I haven't really done that too much. Um, how would I describe what I do to people outside of the space? Um, I say that um, I say that I'm a, a writer um, who makes NFTs. <laughs> Um, and then I try to explain what an NFT is. Um, I don't really dive too deeply into the nature of my work because um, it gets extremely complicated for someone who's not in the space. Um, but um, what what is a crypto writer to me? Um, so I think for me, I have a pretty clear idea of what it means to be a crypto writer personally uh, in my own practice. Um, and, you know, what I'm going for in my work. Um, and for me, like both sides of the hyphen, well, if you hyphenate crypto writing as a word, are equally important in my work. And um, 
you know, my writing is really grounded in crypto, whether it's like crypto Twitter culture, the blockchain and how that works, um, playing with NFTs um, and the metaverse. It's always like steeped in that crypto world. And I would say it would be difficult for anyone outside of crypto of the crypto space um, to fully grasp what I'm going for in my writing and projects, which is why I don't explain it too too deeply. But um, for someone in crypto, um, I think it feels immediately recognizable, like they can relate to the concept and it makes sense to them. And, um, you know, I'm interested in a lot of different aspects of NFTs, like, you know, you can use them as tickets or um, you can reward collectors with airdrops and, you know, there are different drop mechanisms that you can play around with. So all of these things for me are kind of ripe for um, conceptual crypto writing projects, which is what I like to do. So, so yeah, I mean, and the relationship between like crypto and writing for me is always like a two-way street, right? I mean, crypto is foundational for the writing that I do. And um, conversely, I try to find different ways um, to introduce writing and words into the NFT space um, in a way that's, you know, meaningful, I guess. Um, so, but I mean, having said that, I think everybody has their own path as a crypto writer. I mean, each person imagines their own projects and are drawn to what's most exciting to them about NFTs. Um, and, you know, they should seize the possibilities that NFTs open up um, in their own way. And I think, you know, that's the beauty of NFTs and the novelty of writing in this medium, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think there's something really interesting that goes on with, with crypto writing. And it's that, on the one hand, there are elements of it that might be feel a little bit easier to define. You know, there are times like with projects like um, Ether Poems, which we'll talk about in a little bit, where you can maybe more easily define the idea of crypto writing writing that lives on chain, you know, and there's certainly an aspect of that in crypto writing. But something that stood out for me enormously, and this actually links beautifully back, so perfect segue into the first piece of your work that, that I discovered, is that microfiction genuinely has a place in this arena in a way that it maybe didn't... There's always this question of where exactly does microfiction live when it came to the idea of publishing it. It wasn't always the rails in place to try and put a piece of microfiction in front of an audience in a way where they understood what to do with it when it came to you know, purchasing it, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not been the case this year. We've, we've seen the opportunity for someone to take a piece of entertainment and then turn it into also a piece of artwork and allow people to read it but also allow somebody to own it, which changes the game for microfiction, as well as, you know, that little square window that we see often for NFTs, the idea that you can fit a story into that little window becomes mm -hmm. a real opportunity, whereas before it was often so, well, you know, who, who, who's going to care about a story so short? And what was so exciting to me when I first saw your work, Callum, is that I do care about that. You know, microfiction, I think, is absolutely beautiful. So I kind of... I actually looked back through our early Twitter conversation before to see, well, what was our first chat? And it was me just getting in touch with you to say how excited I was to see somebody using um, this space for microfiction. So it feels like that's a, a nice little segue and jumping in point to certainly the first project of yours that I was aware of, which is 
few understand. I don't know if maybe if there's anything bef- you know preceding that that you wanted to mention. Otherwise, it'd be great to hear a little bit about um, the Few Understand project and kind of how it came about initially. Yeah. Um, yes, Few Understand is the first piece of first series that I minted. And um, I'm like you. I love microfiction. Like, I, I love Lydia Davis. I'm a big fan of her work. And um, I was reading a lot of, I'm still reading like a, a book of essays of hers, but I was reading a lot of her work um, when I kind of came up with the idea of You Understand. But um, the idea came about because, like you said, um, before I started getting into like all the different things that you could do with NFTs and how you can play around with them, like I, I kind of felt limited by that, that little square, like you mentioned, that window, right, where... Um, the writing would appear. And I didn't want to use the unlockable content. I wanted everyone to be able to see what they were buying, right? So, um, so you know, the idea of microfiction um, kind of came naturally um, out of that, that um, limitation, actually. Um, so for, for those of you who don't know, um, if you understand series, uh, it's basically... Um, a chain or like a chain of blocks. So each text, each each NFT is a block of text and the, ch- the blocks are chained to each other um, in the imitation of the, the real blockchain. Um, so in the real blockchain, as you know, like the, the first, um, each block begins with the previous hat, the hash of the previous block. So um, I kind of transferred that into writing and um, so what, what I did is I write a block and then the last sentence of one block becomes the first sentence of the next block. And each block is like a micro auto fiction, loosely based on my life. Um, and um, yeah, so that's my first series. Um, and it really came about because of that limitation, um, you know, and I feel like that's often how I work. You know, you, you have these limitations and then you come up with ideas to try to overcome them. And um, yeah, that's what happened with You Understand. Yeah, that, that really resonates with me talking about limitations. I mean, I've always been a, a big fan of either constraining a piece of work that you're doing. So you're kind of forced to work within an interesting kind of uh, so this, this, this window or, you know, finding a jumping off point where you say, well, I don't know where to start, but I'm going to, you know, use this as a catalyst for my first sentence, maybe. And then who knows where I'm going to end up going? Because often the blank page is the scariest thing or the blank screen mm-hmm. can be the scariest thing. Uh, but when you give yourself those kind of rules for thinking, you'd think that it limits you. But actually what it does is it removes that paradox of choice. You know, you can no longer do absolutely anything. You're now kind of really engaging yourself to solve a slightly more achievable uh, problem. And, and, and then you you always end up somewhere that you weren't expecting and you're always kind of amazed that that you maybe had that in you right that it that it came out that way yeah absolutely I totally agree with you I mean I love working with constraints I mean I don't think I could work any other way actually to be honest like um the blank page is just is just too open you know I don't really know where to begin um, I need like it's almost like I need a box that I can think outside of in a way, if mm. you know what I mean. Um, and yeah, I don't know if you know the the French artist Sophie Cal. Have you heard of her? She's, no, no, no. So 
So anymore. she's a super interesting artist and I'm like really inspired by her work and it's very playful and intimate at the same time. And she works a lot with this idea of constraints or, or rather like games. So she, she uses um, games to, in her writing and her art. So she, use, she writes a lot, but she's an artist. Um, so for example, she, does, she did a series where she'd eat only food of one color in a meal. So if mm. it was orange, she'd have like carrots and melon and I don't know what else is orange. Um, and actually that was, that was actually part of a larger game um, that began with the uh, book by Paul Oster, uh, Leviathan, mm-hmm. um, where he wrote about a character who's loosely based on Sophie Cal. And then she in turn started living out um, the things that the character in the book did. So wow. there's kind of this like weird, this interesting like, um, and it's called double jeu, which is also a play on words. It's like double jeu means I, but it also means game. So mm-hmm. like her her work is like all about games and rules and doing interesting things within those rules, and yeah, I find it really inspiring and I really love what she does. And yeah, I think uh, I like I like working in that way as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think what we'll do, Callan, is we'll. Um, have a think about the, a few of the things that get mentioned during this chat and maybe add links to certain pieces into the show notes now that we're going to be releasing this as episodes yeah. as well. That would be sure. handy. That's a good idea, yeah. So um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that you might be up for reading one of the blocks of Few Understand. Is that yeah. something that you're cool with? Sure, yeah. Um, so I will read uh, block one. And it's not the first one. So block zero is uh, the genesis. It's the very first one. But like the blockchain, um, which doesn't have any real transactions, um, block zero, the genesis block, is never going to be sold um, in keeping with the concept. So this is block uh, one, if you understand. Is this the end or the beginning? I ask myself this at every big life change, a breakup a move to a new city, getting married, giving birth. I fall into the gap that opens up between the end of one thing and the beginning of the next. In that liminal space, that vertiginous moment between identities, just for a moment, I am untethered. This is always both exciting and terrifying. It's like I can see the themes and the hand at work, stitching my life together. This is how I felt while waiting for contractions after my water broke. This is how I felt on the train to Paris when I was leaving Amsterdam for good. So that's my block one. What I was going to say is that what I love about this, uh, not just this block, but every block that's in this this kind of whole series, is that there's two things that you do incredibly well, if you don't mind me giving you two compliments. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the, the first one is that whether it's just the way that you write, Callan, or whether it's also, you know, the constraints we were talking about, you do this incredible thing where you manage to kind of open up a whole number of threads that open up a whole number of possibilities in the mind of the person that's, that's reading your work, um, which, which I think is wonderful. So I come away from this with so many questions, like wondering what's going to happen next, wondering what this means and this means. But the other thing that you do is everything feels like it's absolutely despite that kind of you know, mystery box opening, everything feels like it's completely on purpose and like you, you are completely in control of our experience here. Like there's always a concept that's driving 
each piece forward. And I just wondered if you might want to talk a little bit about the importance of a clear concept to you as a writer when you're pulling projects together. Um, well, first of all, thank you for that lovely compliment. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you're right. The concept for me is absolutely key. And I mean, for the, for the blocks, I don't know. Um, I guess I do have a, uh, an idea or idea in mind that I want to kind of um, convey in each block. Um, I wasn't aware that I, I had like, you know, I had so much control. As power. You You've got the power color. <laughs> <laughs> I was not aware of that, but um, you're, you are right that about the concept um, being an important part, an important thing for me. And, you know, it's absolutely foundational. I mean, I can't work without one. Uh, it's like the central element or, you know, um, the foundation that gives my writing form, it gives it content, it gives it, you know, it's everything. And, um, you know, I like working based on a concept because it gives me something to write. You know, it gives me direction like we were talking about. Um, and, you know, whether it's the few understand in each block, I have this idea, um, or um, either poems, um, you know, the whole series is based on one, a single concept. And that kind of gives birth to other other ideas and other things that I could write about. But um, yeah, it's like what we were saying. It's that it's the kind of structure that I need to be able to to write and to to create, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And again, that's another thing that resonates with me because I always think that concept when it comes to storytelling is like that secret superpower of storytelling because the, the beauty of the beauty of, of story versus um, kind of just telling somebody something is if you tell somebody what to think, for example, if you, if you have an idea that you think other people should consider and you simply tell them that idea, the problem with it is that it will, it will bump straight into all the ideas that they already hold about the world, right? And, mm -hmm. and often people have rejected uh, the possibility of looking at the world a certain way before they've even considered it you know our, our brains can only deal with so many new pieces of information so we have strong defense mechanisms storytelling does something pretty special it's the equivalent of kind of kind of wrapping up an idea in a beautiful package and, and allowing someone to kind of invite it in themselves like providing them with a series of clues i suppose and once they've put all of those clues together, it's kind of like they manufacture the ideas themselves and they tell the story to themselves from all of the pieces that mm -hmm. you've kind of woven together. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like the way you put that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. I should use that one again, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's the beauty of um, stories, um, right? It's you kind of um, slip into somebody else's life and their mind. And um, for me, that's kind of what, writing is essentially is is putting down on paper your thoughts in a way that's you know co coherent and can actually um, make the reader feel and think um, what you're thinking and feeling um, if that makes sense yeah it makes total sense I, I think again it comes back to this this is why I've always loved microfiction and why I'm so excited about the fact that we have a space now which allows for a um, you know, it's, it's certainly not all about the money, but the idea that someone can be paid 
mm-hmm. for, for doing this work just means that the, the rails are in place for them to continue doing it. And there is really something about being able to tell a story so quickly, being able to focus an idea um, in that way that somebody can come away with a little shot of an idea, a little shot of a feeling, a little shot of an emotion. And mm-hmm. I, I just think it's so exciting that we've, we're able to find that space that sits between long-form storytelling and poetry and actually give it a, a place that is going to find a little bit more space in, in culture. Um, yeah. I yeah. Mean, I, like several things you said are, are um, interesting to me. Like one, the fact that um, the idea that writers and poets can make money. I mean, <laughs> what a novel idea, right? It's, it's amazing. <laughs> exactly. um, and um, yeah, we should try to seize that. And writers deserve to be paid um, more than they are, I think. Um, it's hard work, right? Writing poems, writing stories is, is really hard work. Um, and the other thing is, you know, I was, um, I shared my you understand blocks with my sister and she was like oh you know these are perfect for like the digital age where people's attention spans are like you know so are so um short and um and I guess she is she's right in a way like flash fiction or uh, micro fiction is um is conducive to you know uh, short spurts of time that you have um and if and it's true that I guess people, the people's attention spans are shrinking. And but if microfiction is a way for people to to get people to read, even um, within those short short attention spans, then like you know I'm all for it. I mean, there's new reading, new reading experiences that we can create, right? Exactly. And the way that you've delivered few understand is a really good way of saying, well, yeah, we've got microfiction, but you join enough of this microfiction together, and you actually have a much longer story. And mm-hmm. I, there's so many opportunities. I just really want to quickly touch on that point on writers making money just for a second, because mm-hmm. there's an interesting thing that I think is worth mentioning, which goes back to kind of one of my many other <laughs> lives, which is kind of in the indie film industry. And, you know, I, I've, I've got a background making short films. And I've got lots of friends and colleagues that make short films. And up until this year, there was a fairly straightforward rule. And the rule was, you will never make money making a short film. It's absolutely impossible. That's not because people don't enjoy it. It's because there simply isn't the rails in place for people to actually pay for it. People Mm. don't tend to pay as much for a short film as they would do for a feature film. And you can watch feature films for free or for very small amounts of money. And if you try and lower the price of a short film, let's say you try and say, well, you can watch my short film for 25 pence, for example. Well, there is such a thing as people being psychologically averse to things that are priced so incredibly low, and that causes a real issue. But the difference has been that this year we've got I said, this, this opportunity opened up where it's possible, this is true for short film and things like microfiction, where you have the opportunity to, for example, everybody can read your few understand blocks. They're not hidden. They are there. People can read them. They can enjoy them from an entertainment perspective. They can, they can grab a hold of that and enjoy every single piece of it but only one person can ever own it, and that comes with a price. And that means that it is possible for us to be able to do the things that we do and also kind of you know, have the financial foundations to do more of it. And I think it's going to, in the same way with, with writing, it's going to make a big difference to the fact that people who are writing are going to be able to 
self-fund in many ways and and they'll have the channels in place to be able to release things more effectively than before and that's true also within film i personally know three or four people who've sold their short films this year to individual owners for upwards of 10 to fifteen thousand dollars kind of in in ETH into fiat Mm -hmm. and unheard of before um so that's incredibly exciting yeah um anyway yeah, going, totally yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's something that I love about this model is that you can be paid for it. Um, and sometimes, you know, handsomely, um, like your friends. And um, at the same time, like you're not limiting the readership, like yes. anyone can read it. Right. And I love that, um, you know, my writing, my work can be shared with like anybody, everybody. Um, but I can and somebody owns it so they have to pay to own that piece but that doesn't limit it that doesn't mean that you know nobody else can read it you know it somebody owns it but everybody can read read or experience the work so I think it's a model that's um very interesting and beneficial for for everybody readers and writers and filmmakers and artists and everyone yeah I completely agree and this links again my attempt to do the perfect segue. I'm not quite there yet, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. The, the other thing is that the way that we're building a community around the writing, in a, and we've, we've got so many people from so many different art forms who are using, riding the same rails, essentially, because we're selling writing in the same way that somebody else is selling art in the same way that somebody else is selling you know, a piece of, of, of video work means we've got a lot of different communities coming together, which means more people, which means more opportunities for us to do more playful things with work as well, I think. And one thing that I wanted to just to touch on here was a piece of work that you, that you kind of orchestrated earlier in, in the year called 12, which mm-hmm. was not only a wonderful opportunity for writers, but also it was just an enormous amount of fun within this, within this space. Mm-hmm. And you were one of the 12 devoid. I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, this was like one of my favorite projects because it was just the, it was just so fun to do. And it was um, amazing to work with uh, the 12 writers that were part of it. And um, do you want me to maybe explain the concept for those people who? Oh, that would be great. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Um, okay, so basically the idea for 12 was... Um, um, so often I'm kind of like in search of um, words or ways I can use words in the crypto space. And one of the obvious things that kind of jumped out at me from the beginning was the the seed phrase. So the 12 words, um, the seed phrase that you use to, to open your wallet. Um, and so I really wanted to do something with that. And um, when I and I also, on the other hand, wanted to um, promote um crypto literature and some crypto writers that I had met um along my journey and uh so what I ended up doing was um I asked 12 crypto writers to contribute one of their NFTs uh which I locked away in a wallet and um I used the seed phrase of that wallet to create a poem so I wrote a poem um and the words are scattered inside the poem and then I, um, I wrote clues to help people find each word, um, which I put in the unlockable content. Um, so the collectors of the NFT poem called 12 
um, tried to find the seed phrase using the clues and whoever unlocked that wallet could take all of the 12 NFTs um, that were locked away inside. Um, so Devoid was part of it um, and a lot of uh, really great crypto writers that I've become friends with. And um, it was really like everything about it was very fun, like working with the 12 writers, um, writing the poem, um, because, you know, again, that that notion of constraint, like I had to use these 12 words plus a bunch of other ones so that it wasn't too easy to find. Um, and I had to make that poem, which so that was fun as well. And then um, the actual game part when there were not like oh, too many collectors, but the collectors who did buy the NFT, I think everyone had a lot of fun. You know, it was very um you know, they all gave me like super good feedback and they said it was so um, they really enjoyed themselves. And, you know, it was extremely hard. I think the clues are very difficult, um, but uh, they nonetheless had like a lot of fun. And, um, you know, it was like it felt like a game, you know, and what ended up happening with the collectors was also turned out um, it, it turned out really well, I think. And it was another twist, unexpected twist. Um, what had happened was the first collector, uh, Mim Nermos, uh, who opened the wallet, he took six, he chose six NFTs um, and he transferred them to his wallet. And then he told me that he would leave the other six for the next person um, to crack the seed phrase um, just because he wanted other people to feel the same excitement as he did, uh, which I thought was, you know, so generous and, you know, um, so wholesome of him. Um, and so the next people who cracked the, the C phrase were two people who kind of got together. They joined forces and then they compared answered and answers and they solved it together. And so uh, they, uh, instead of sending it to their wallets, they sent it to my wallet. Um, and because I guess they couldn't decide which ones, how to split it. And uh it's an escrow in my wallet, and I was quite shocked when I saw it the next morning. <laughs> so, so Callan was the ultimate winner. <laughs> it's they're still in my wallet, by the way. Like the the six NFTs, I don't know when they're going to to take them, but yeah, they're sitting in my wallet still. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, but the, the beauty of, of things like that is that I, mean, I was obviously a part of it, but also kind of witnessed it happen because. You know, we were, you know, the, the, the 12 that were involved in the project, we obviously were aware of the nature of the project, but we didn't really know the answers to the, to the clues. So it was quite fun to realize what a tough puzzle master you are <laughs> <laughs> and the torture that you put people through. But the thing that I thought was so interesting about it was that, and I've seen a couple of, um, I mean, I've, I've done a couple of things, not the, exactly the same, but along the same kind of lines in that playing on the idea of Easter eggs, right? Playing on the idea of mm -hmm. things that actually live within gaming culture and that have kind of crossed over into the foundations of this space. People love to discover things. They love to find things. They love to kind of go on a, on a quest. And it's so interesting that we can do that. There's, there's a phrase that, um, I can't remember where I first heard it, but I quite like it for something like this, which is there's the storytelling, obviously, but there's also kind of story in kind of inverted commas doing, which is you, you allow people to literally be a part of the story as it unfolds. So whilst they 
enjoyed the, the the poem and they enjoyed the work they also were lead characters in a game that went on for how i mean how long was it it was quite was it more than a day i can't remember it was several yeah. days wasn't it i think it was at least i think it was two or three days i think yeah did you um, feel worried at any point um like have i made this too difficult because i, I think by the oh, end yeah. of it what i thought was interesting was there were a few people that clearly were like well this is really difficult and I love it, you know, they, they loved that it was difficult. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> there was David Lisser, who yes. I think really enjoys like these kinds of scavenger hunts and games and things like that. And he loves, I think he really enjoys um, puns and wordplay and he, he likes words. Mm. Um, so I think he, he was um, banging his head against the wall, yet he was enjoying himself. <laughs> Yeah. so um yeah that was good but I did kind of worry at the end I, and the reason one of the reasons why I made it so difficult was so that um you know it would last a little while and you know um it would give um time for other collectors to kind of get in on the game and have time to buy the nft and join in um but yeah I at, at one point I did worry is is nobody going to <laughs> to find the answers and at one point, like Minermos was just entering random words and opening random wallets, <laughs> so that didn't belong to anyone. But um, yeah, he, he, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> and th this is still kind of live in the sense that if somebody wants to, they can go and have a look at. They can attempt to solve this. Still, they won't win anything because mm -hmm. we have winners. But they can still go through the process. Is that yeah, right? I mean, Anna just bought one. Oh, she bought one a couple of weeks ago. And um, I think she can attest to the difficulty <laughs> um, of the clues. But yes, yeah, nice. she, she bought one. She did try to to solve it. I'm not sure if she she figured it out. She found all the answers, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. Um, so so obviously, microfiction has had its um, opportunity this year in a way that maybe hasn't happened for as long as I could remember. But also poetry, uh, because mm -hmm. yet again, you know, I think that. The, the starving artist or the starving poet has been kind of a, a, a trope for a, a long time. It can be really difficult to get poetry published. It can be really difficult to, to find an audience. And yet this year, poetry is beginning to reach people in a way that it hasn't mm -hmm. maybe done for a very, very long time. And one of the projects that has made that possible has been Ether Poems. And it'd be really good if, if you give us a bit of an introduction to what Ether Poems is yeah. um, and, and your involvement in that. Yeah, sure. Um, so Ether Poems is uh, a collective of poets. Um, it's a project that was spearheaded by um, Archick. Digital Archick is her handle. Um, and um, for the, this is, I was part of the second uh, collection, the second series. And um, what's novel about Ether Poems uh, as a project is that the poems are written directly on chain um, so um, they'll last forever. So most NFTs are, you know, linked with IPFS or um, whatever onto the blockchain, but the ether poems, the words are on the blockchain. Um, so that's kind of what sets it apart from other um, poetry projects, I guess. Um, and um, so for the second, uh, for, for my contribution to ether poems, I did a series called Metaverse. Um, which is a play on the word, um, the fact that there's the word verse in the word metaverse. And um, the idea was uh, that 
so I took um, various schools of poetry from the 20th century mostly, and I would imagine them in the metaverse. So I would uh, try to look at the metaverse from their perspective and from their uh, particular philosophies and uh, outlook and uh, perspectives and uh, write a poem about how they feel about the metaverse. Um, yeah, what else can I say? No, that, that's great. And I'm just, I mean, would you be, I don't know if you've got any in front of you, if you have a couple that were in that yeah. collection that you performed, I think that would be great. Sure. Um, so I, I will read um, the beat, um, beat poem, um, because I think a lot of people are familiar with the, the beat movement. I see Nitika here. Um, so this is Metaverse, Parcel 11, Beat. An outcast beat generation of poets stripping through the metaverse on peyote, reciting liquid praise to the ether, illuminating their souls, our chains, and these bleak streets. And Ginsburg jizzing to a book of Blake, wholly howling and jazzing to the mechanical metaversal night. And Ferlinghetti's incandescent city lights calling Kerouac and Cassidy back from the road, back here to the metaverse where a cadre of poets practice the politics of the spiritual Tao. Yeah, that's one of my favorite um, pieces of the of that collection. How many pieces are in Metaverse? Um, there are 20. 20? Yeah. And, you know, the, it's so interesting hearing you talk about your writing, obviously, as well as performing it, but it's so interesting hearing you talk about it because I know we talked about this at the beginning, but it's worth just, you know, punctuating again for a second. It, you can really see... The, the kind of process that you go through with these constraints, you know, it becomes a linguistic game for you, I guess, because you say, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to give it a wrapper. And within that wrapper, there are going to be a, a degree of things that I need to make sure I do so that, um, you know, I've, I've stayed true to that concept. I mean, I, I don't know if you're aware of, um, kind of the Edward de Bono, who kind of He's, he did all, all sorts of kind of interesting games for thinking that are designed to help kind of creatives. And, and he would really talk a lot about this idea of providing rules for the game of thinking to essentially as, assist people to package their ideas in a way that allows them to bring out the, the best of, of their creativity. You know, and instead of kind of sitting down, as we said before, in front of a blank screen and saying, let's hope a really good accident happens today, <laughs> we're actually... <laughs> giving ourselves some kind of uh, rules. So here's a question that I've got, because we, we talked a little bit about that. But in terms of ether poems, mm -hmm. did you have a process that you went through? Because obviously, again, you know, this doesn't happen by accident for you to find a piece of work that is both an excellent piece of, uh, of, of literature, but it also consistently sticks to an idea across 20 different pieces and also within an overarching space like like crypto writing. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, I should preface this by saying that my writing process is always different because it basically depends on the concept. Um, but for ether poems, um, uh, what I would do is um, I would read a bunch of poems from a particular school um, and I kind of get steeped in their perspective and their ideas and the words they use. And um, 
and all of that, and if they have a philosophy or you know um, worldview, um, and then um, and then I kind of and then they kind of in my mind they kind of turned into characters that were kind of hanging out in the metaverse, um, and then I tried to write from that perspective, um, and so you know I would use. Uh, I mean, if there were stories, for example, in the Beats uh, poem, you know, there's that famous story about Ginsburg kind of like um, after, I don't remember exactly what the story was, but he had just finished masturbating and he was reading Blake and then he heard like spirits talking to him and he had like a spiritual awakening, right? So, um, so I would try to include stories or words that they use or ideas that they have um, and kind of like, mash it up with like the metaverse metaversal world and ideas um and that was basically the process <laughs> i i would just yeah try to um integrate as much of the that school of poetry as i could and then um yeah jump into the metaverse and did you find because this is also like a, a beautiful education isn't it because you, you're essentially giving yourself not only rules for the game of thinking about the work that you're doing, but you're also giving yourself permission to essentially just be, really understand the fundamental structure of a variety of different schools of poetry. I'm wondering if there was any one of them that has either feels like it stuck with you a little bit more than others that you can maybe see popping up in your thinking or your writing, or, or, or maybe the opposite, that you found more difficult than any of the others. Um, so this is an interesting question because I, I did find it, it was a really good, uh, like a kind of poetry 101, um, sort of project. And I did, I learned a lot about, um, different schools of poetry and I, you know, I don't have any training in poetry. I've never gone to a workshop. I've never taken a class or anything. Um, but I always have been interested in poems and, um, I read, um, you know, a certain number of poems and, um, but really studying it like this was very, um, very, very interesting. And um, some of them like required less research, but were interesting from the perspective of like, um, for example, the post-colonial poem and the feminist poem, um, they came with a kind of critique of the metaverse, which um, I think was interesting. It kind of fed into, you know, it kind of, in gave me ideas for further projects that I could do about, um, you know, where the artist would kind of act as a social critic almost and hold up a mirror to the crypto world. Um, and what else? The one that I really, I really enjoyed writing the language poem, actually, the language and the New York poems I had a lot of fun with um, because, uh language poetry is very much tied to like post-structuralism, um, post-structural thought. And um, I've always been interested in post-structuralism. Um, so that was really fun to do. Um, they were all really fun to do, honestly. <laughs> it's hard to choose a favorite. Um, yeah, I don't know. The crypto one was fun as well. <laughs> I, I seriously recommend that everybody hunts down all 20 of Callan's ether poems, as well as all of the ether poems from the other ether poets as well, because that was, a, again, it was a fantastic wrapper to put around poetry. 
it gave so many exciting writers the chance to do some really kind of innovative uh, work. So, so do check that out. Um, you know, something that strikes me as we're having this conversation is one way or another, it doesn't really matter if you're a seasoned writer for the past 20 years or whether you're relatively new to things, one way or another, we're all doing things we hadn't quite done before this year, which I think is pretty, pretty fun. Um, mm-hmm. For those of you in the audience, have a, just have a think about if you've got a question. Um, I'm just going to ask Kaylin something else whilst you're thinking. And then if we do have any questions, we'll have time for you know, two or three before we wrap. Um, but one thing I, I, didn't, I didn't want us to get through this chat, Callum, without touching on the crypto writers discord itself, mm-hmm. because obviously you founded that and it's gone from strength to strength. Uh, I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on you know, why you founded it and, and what you and how you see it at the moment. Yeah, um, honestly, I really didn't expect the discord and the community community to grow as it has you know I really started it um kind of on a whim almost because uh I was you know like you said earlier I was um people were showing up on my dms and they were talking about crypto writing and um ideas that they had and I was just really excited about um the new landscape and all the cool things you could do and also um I was really excited by other people's projects. And um, that was really the catalyst. I mean, it was just my excitement around um, crypto writing and what other people were doing. And um, I wanted to talk about it more with other people, like their projects and um, have, you know, people, other people talk to each other as well. And so um, that's why I created the Discord so that we could have a place um, for writers to gather and, you know, talk about each other's project and kind of, um, you know, help each other, support each other and, you know, get excited about um, crypto writing in general and other pro- their projects. And um, yeah, that's really how it started. And then I just tweeted out um, that I'm starting it and I added a handful of people that I had been DMing. Um, the, and yeah, that that's how it started. And now there's like, I don't know exactly, but 250-ish people in the Discord, and they're like new people all the time. And, um, you know, when we started, it was like, there was no one, right? There's nobody doing crypto writing. And we were really just like, I don't know, 10 people in the, in the Discord. And now it's, um, it's growing so quickly. And I feel like crypto writing in general is always, is also kind of um, starting to get some attention. Uh, with, you know, the Loot project, which is a word-based project. And then there's, um, we don't really know what it consists of exactly, but PAX um, Lost Poets, of course, the Ether Poems project. Um, so I feel like um, words and writing are kind of in the spotlight these days. Um, and, you know, it, writing was when, and still is, you know, a, peripheral, peripheral in the wider crypto art landscape. But it's definitely gaining momentum, um, and I'm I'm excited to see how it develops and where writers take it. You know. Yeah, I, c- I couldn't agree more. And just having everybody in that same space, it's 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 knowing that you don't know exactly how those collaborations are going to come about. Because I know that there's things that you'll see more and more of the talks that we're going to be organising over the coming weeks and months. 
but there's also, as we do that, more and more people, more and more active within that Discord, talking about the kind of projects that they want support with. And I think what you've provided there, whether it was kind of you know, some kind of plan on purpose or whether it was just this would be a good idea one day and see what happens, you know, you've provi provided a really strong foundation for people to come together and, and come up with those kinds of projects. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm aware that we're kind of coming up slowly towards the end of the hour. So I wanted just to see if there's anybody in the audience who has a question or even a comment that they want to kind of step up to the stage with. If there is, then um, request to speak and I will, I will allow that. <laughs> I have the power to do so. <laughs> and if there isn't, which is also absolutely fine, I'm going to ask Callan what exactly it is she has planned um, next. What's next? Will we have more Few Understand coming up? Are there other mm -hmm. projects that are on the go that you can or can't talk about? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I am continuing. So a few understand is a kind of an ongoing project that um, I plan to have maybe more or less 50 blocks. So that's quite a ways to go still. Um, I'm on block thir My next one's block 13. So um, yeah, that's kind of going to be going on in the background, sort of while I do other projects as well. Um, so I am continuing that. Um, my next project is, so, um, we didn't mention this, but I am part of the, um, vertical crypto art residency. And, um, so the first, which is amazing, by the way, this, what Nicole has built is, um, really incredible. Like all the mentors that she has involved, uh, that are involved in it. Um, the program is great. Um, and, um, you know, I've met really great other great artists, other residents. And anyway, so the first month is, um, you know, quote unquote classes or sessions, let's call it. And um, where you kind of learn about different aspects of the metaverse and the NFT, NFT world. And then um, the second month, which we're going into now is the month where we create NFTs. So um, we have to make about two or three NFTs, one of which we donate to um, Vertical Crypto Arts so that she can continue to fund the program. Um, so I have, I'm working on uh, an idea um, for that. It's kind of, um, it's, it's a little, uh, it's big in my head. <laughs> like it's, I have a lot of like, big ideas. Whether I can actually implement them is another question altogether. But um, yeah, uh, <laughs> we'll see how how it turns out, I guess. Nice. Well, I can't wait to see the results of that. Um, one more call just to see if we've got any questions or comments in the audience. Um, raise your hand, request to speak, and I'll bring you up onto the stage if you're there and you have anything. Okay, so, um, Callan... One thing I did want to say before we kind of wrap this is, I think you know this, but you were the first person that I met within this space. And I just wanted to say, I'm incredibly grateful that it happened to be you that was the first person that I really got to talk to in this space. Um, because in those first couple of weeks, when I didn't know what on earth was going on, you know, I was getting, I was putting work out, but really wasn't sure what the space could become. Uh, it was really wonderful to engage with somebody 
so kind of thoughtful, that was also so hopeful and positive for what writing could become in this space. Uh, so I just, I just wanted to make sure that you know that, you know, if, if, that's, if that's the way that your connections have been with other people in this space, there is a reason that the Discord is, is, is thriving and so many people are in your DMs asking about this. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Oh, my God, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> oh, no, please don't cry. This is, going up. This is recorded. <laughs> uh, no, thank you. I mean, it, that's, I feel like that is um, the reason, like, it makes, honestly, to tell you the truth, like, I am not a leader type person. Like, I, I feel like it's kind of been thrust upon me, um, this role of the Discord leader or whatever. Um, and I'm I'm someone who kind of shies away from the limelight to be honest um i'm you know i don't like to to be in that kind of a leadership position um but it's it was honestly you know interacting with people that um that led me that led me to create the discord and um to you know build like the crypto writer movement help build the crypto writer movement and yeah and i like when people say things like that, and for example, like a couple people have said, you know, when they came to the space, they they were kind of lost and they didn't know that other people were doing writing. And then when they discovered the Discord, they they were really happy and they felt like, you know, it helped them continue in the space. And I find that really inspiring, and that helps me a lot to, um, you know, it's it's just like a real source of joy for me to be to meet so many people and to to be able to help in any way like that so yeah oh well that's great and i'm very excited to see all the things that well you know to be a part of all the things that we we've got planned next which yeah. is i guess a kind of a nice way to round this out and to see if i can manage to finish almost exactly on on the dot <laughs> of the hour <laughs> is just to say that you know if you're here and you are a part of the Discord, fantastic. You know, please keep engaging with us in the Discord. If you're not yet part of the Discord, then we're going to be sharing the link and would love you to be a part of it because um, we've got lots of things planned in the coming weeks and months, but it's also the things that we don't have planned that are going to happen because of the Discord, the, the relationships that you build, the collaborations that come out of it. So please do get involved. Just one quick note, I suppose, on the types of events we've got coming. Um, we've got all sorts of things. We've got sessions like this, which is a deep dive, talking to a creative about their work. We'll have panels, which will be a group of people talking around a particular idea within this space. We're going to have dialogues, which are two creatives just really just chatting with each other about things and you getting the chance to listen in, along with readings, where we'll get to hear more of the work from, from writers in the space. And, and we're even looking at putting on some workshops to kind of help people to get motivated, get moving and get their next piece of work out there. So, so please do stay involved with us. Our next event, if I'm not mistaken, will be another deep dive and that's next week with Encapsuled at roughly the same time, but uh, we'll confirm that for sure in the Discord. Um, yeah, any final words, Callum, before we wrap? Sorry? Any final words before we wrap this one up? Um... I just want to thank you for being a wonderful host and um, yeah, it's, it wasn't, you know, I don't really like speaking in public, but it wasn't, you know, I feel like I, I like talking to, to friends and it felt, it felt okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So thank you. Uh, thank you for hosting. 
Uh, thank you to everyone who came out and listened to me talk for an hour. <laughs> and yeah, I hope to see you in the Discord or on Twitter or elsewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, thank you very much for being here. It's been a pleasure and an honor. I've really loved it. I like talking with you anyway. It's great. But to do so with other people, to listen in has, has been a lot of fun as well. So um, that's that's it from this Crypto Writers Deep Dive with, with Callan. Please, um, as I said, engage with us in the Discord and um, with the things that we're going to put out on Twitter after and make sure that you tune in to the next event next time. Thanks, everybody.